And let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for that encouragement. We know that we are headed into this season, and um, in life there are seasons, Lord. And they're all uh, for a purpose. So may we take uh, that encouragement and hold on to it. Lord, not losing sight of the fact that you um, are in control of our lives. Father, teach us tonight as we take this time now to look at your word. And fill us afresh with your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Exodus 8, uh, Wednesday nights. We've been going through the book of Exodus here at Selah. Um, and uh, every it's, it's always important, but specifically tonight I found the importance of um, looking back on some scripture out of the book of Exodus and how we ended up where we're at. I mean, doing that specifically in one verse. Exodus chapter 5. In verse 2, because tonight we're going to be looking at some plagues. We have Egypt, all of these plagues are coming on Egypt. Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh, they're having this back and forth interaction. And the Lord's intervening and he's giving insight into these plagues that are to come. But how did we end up in this uh, place? We know big picture God's plan to redeem the people of uh, his, his children, Israel, out of the land of Egypt. We know that's God's big plan, but real time, as we're tracking through this, there were real events taking place. And back in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, we, we read this, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And Pharaoh, with this question, he's questioning. He's asking the same question that I think is being asked today. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Who is He? It's almost as if Pharaoh, in asking that question, awaken the Lord. This sleeping giant, because for 430 years it may have seemed as if The Lord wasn't on the scene because Pharaoh, as a king ruling with a strong arm, ruler of Egypt, power and player at B over the world, enslaving the Israelites. And it could seem that God is dormant in all of this. But we know that God's come on the scene. He's interacted. He's talking with Moses. He's revealing a plan of Redemption. And and in here in in Exodus 5, in real time, Moses asked that question. Uh, Pharaoh asked that question. Who is the Lord? And it's important for us to realize that prompting in that question. Because as we walk through these plagues, really what um, the Lord is doing is He's answering that question back to Pharaoh. And it's important that we can get that answer because it's a question that's being asked so commonly today. How many are asking this question? And and here's the thing about it. If we're not obeying the voice of the Lord, then we're going to be obeying the voice of someone or somebody 
else or something else? That's why it's an important question. If not the voice of the Lord, then whose voice is it? You know, Bob Dylan understood this concept better than, than any in his hit song, You Gotta Serve Somebody, where this lyric is sung over and over. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you'll have to serve somebody. And Bob Dylan realized if, if you're not obeying the voice of the Lord, you're going to be obeying the voice of someone. This is an important question. The question is, what voice do we obey? What voice are we obeying today? For, for some, we obey the voice of feeling or the voice of opinion. It's what feels right. It's what seems right. And that's the voice that we find ourselves obeying. Actually, the elite minds of this day have gotten together and created a new word in the Oxford Dictionary to describe this very thing that I'm telling you. The word is this, post-truth. The definition, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential and shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal beliefs. Now, the Urban Dictionary would just put it this way. What you think is greater than what's true. That's what's being said behind this idea. That's the culture we live in. There's literally been a word put to it, post-truth. When, when how we feel and our opinion becomes greater than truth. Why is this question that Pharaoh asked so important for you and I? I think there's really simply two reasons as we're going to jump in tonight to Exodus chapter 8. Why I see the reason in even bringing this question back on the table. The reason is, number one, as we said, the Lord's going to answer that question that Pharaoh put out through these plagues. He's going to, in, in a series of revealing judgment, he's going to be answering that question to Pharaoh of who he is. And we're going to see repeated all throughout the plagues this phrase, the Lord is going to be say, saying, so that you will know. I'm, I'm doing these things so that you will know who I am. These plagues are God's way of letting Pharaoh know who he is. And, and secondly, and don't just check out on this because we're talking about Egypt. And is Egypt really relatable to us? And I know how easy it would be to... Think Okay, Egypt. Egypt has pyramids in it. Um, Egypt, they bow down and they worship strange foreign gods. One of which we're going to see tonight is literally a woman whose head is a frog. So don't think because you didn't drive past a pyramid to get here today. And when you woke up this morning, you didn't bow down and worship a frog-headed lady. That this isn't for us. Because it is. I think that we will realize modern America has more similarities to ancient Egypt than one might think. On the surface level, if we were to just look at a picture of Egypt and look at a picture of modern day America, we would say completely different. When in reality, a lot of the things that were going on 
are exactly the things that are going on today. So the reason why we look at this question, who is the Lord that we should obey His voice? One, God's answering that. That's where we are. We're in a series of plagues, a series of God responding back, answering, revealing who He is. And secondly, these parallel the times we are living in. You know, there's, there's a modern example that we actually have of obeying the Lord's voice right here within this fellowship. Maybe if you've been coming over the past weeks, you saw the news clip that went up of Jordan and Kenny, the two guys who Pastor Mike was talking about. I'm sure they're glad, and I'm sure they're not questioning today that they obeyed the Lord's voice. Imagine if the Lord had, in the way He did, prompted Jordan, as He put it, we, we heard a voice saying, get out of the truck. Imagine if that voice came and Jordan decided to say, who are you? Who are you to tell me what to do? If he hardened his heart to that prompting, to that voice, to the leading of the Lord to to get out. Do we really think that he would be upset for having obeyed the voice of the Lord? So let's get into our text tonight and um, as as we do that you know there's there is one other um, way that I think it's revealing for us to see there's actually a little video clip I think that the guys um, Pastor Steve and Tyler have ready so we're going to watch this video clip for a second I'm sure some of you have seen or at least heard about uh, this event that's taking place This was a journey American missionary John Chow was warned against taking. The island was off limits to to protect outsiders and the tribe, which has no immunity to modern diseases. This morning, investigators are trying to figure out who else might have been involved in that fatal mission. Today, this remote island in the Indian Ocean is the focus of an investigation. Where is American missionary John Chow's body? This morning, seven people, including fishermen accused of taking him there, are under arrest. More may be under suspicion. Chow was no stranger to exotic adventures, trekking in South Africa, snowshoeing across the Pacific Northwest, diving in the Andaman Sea, curious about the tribes. But his trip to North Sentinel Island in the Andaman Sea was both perilous and illegal. The endangered tribe that lives there, the Sentinelese, have kept their way of life for centuries, rejecting contact with a modern world, known for attacking outsiders. Chow's trip there against the law. This was a dangerous trip both for the missionary and the tribe. It was incredibly dangerous for him and foolhardy thing to have done, but even more dangerous for the Sentinelese themselves. They are the most isolated tribe on Earth. So they're the most vulnerable in terms of a lack of immunity to common diseases like flu and measles that will decimate a tribe. Journal entries from Chow's last days show that he was well aware of the danger, writing, I'm scared. If you want me to get actually shot or even killed with an arrow, then so be it. I don't want to die. He wanted to share the love of God with them. That was his uh, whole mission. In another entry, he describes being shot at with bow and arrow, which pierced his Bible, writing, Why did a little kid have to shoot me today? His high-pitched voice still lingers in my head. 
And a final message to family. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Don't retrieve my body. Police have sent a second boat near that remote island on Friday with two of the arrested men who are helping them piece together Chow's itinerary as well as his final moments. But Indian authorities won't be sending anyone on shore to question this endangered tribe. That's just too risky for everyone involved. Guys, Lucy Kavanaugh, thank you. So you, you could really get lost uh, in looking at all of what's being said right now about this young missionary. Just one thing was coming to mind as I was thinking through all of this. I was thinking of the Apostle Paul who talked about being bound in the Spirit and, and knowing what awaited him in Jerusalem. And yet he had no choice other than to go. This is another modern example of, of a man who really says, this is, being, this is me being obedient to the voice of what the Lord is, is leading me on to do. I think it's really revealing as the world looks on at this modern day martyr, the ways and the things that are being said about his life. I don't know if you caught... One of the things that she said, it's foolish, it's a foolish thing to have done what he did. Where is the heroic side of stepping out for Christ? And instead, rather, some are calling this foolish, dangerous, misguided. Others are being arrested. The police have literally launched a murder case over this man's going out. And again, there's a lot of things that are being said about the decisions that were made. But two things to think on in that. First, Jesus left and he left us with authority to go into all nations. We have papers to enter all parts of his world. And secondly... We see throughout Scripture men who were bound in the Spirit, knowing dangers were ahead, and rather going on and being obedient. But here we, we see in that, where the world we're living in, what they say about being obedient to the Lord's voice. Maybe a reason why some of us might be afraid to obey that voice. I don't want to be called foolish I don't want to be called misguided. I don't want those things to be said about me. These are the voices that are following this modern day martyr. So let's jump into the first uh, 15 verses now of Exodus 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and an and on all your servants. The, the frogs are coming everywhere, is what the Lord is saying to us. Verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff 
over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Verse 8, Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know, there's that phrase, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. First thing he's wanting to say, there's no one like me, that you may know there's no one like the Lord our God. Verse 11, the frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. 12, so Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs and he agreed with Pharaoh and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields and they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So, we, I, I mentioned that as we are going through these plagues, of which the first was the Nile, second now we uh, are seeing this plague of the frogs. As we're going through these plagues, there's a different deity, there's a different God being judged. So the Lord is revealing to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, these gods that they've put before him. And in this case, through frogs, the Lord is um, revealing to Pharaoh the vanity in, in this God that they served um, called Hecht. And, and again, I mentioned the Egyptians having um, a God whose, it was the fig, her body was the body of a woman and her head was the head of a frog. You'll never guess um, because why would this be? She was a fertility God. Nothing about that to me has the idea of multiplicate. Nor, I mean, maybe the God of abstinence I could foresee, but I don't know <laughs> what's attractive or desirable about a woman with her head, uh, literally the head of a frog. Also, though, in Egypt, understand, frogs had, had the, the literal symbolism of fruitfulness and of new life. And so the Lord's revealing to them through these frogs, he's, he's calling out to them right now. And uh, let's just look at a few things here being mentioned. I, I find it strange that in verse 7, the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land. As if there wasn't already enough frogs, right? Literally everywhere, we just found out there were frogs and now the magicians. So thank you. Great Great guys here, Pharaoh's got, serving in his um, kingship. 
But Pharaoh can't take it. And he cries out to Moses to cry out to the Lord. And how many times do we see this in our own lives, in the lives of those around us? And in verse 10, and he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. So here's that phrase now. Here's the first time in in the second plague we see the Lord's giving them an answer to that question. Who is the Lord? He's, he's judging, he's revealing the vanity of their worship of frogs, thinking that by worshiping a frog is where you're going to find fruitfulness in your life. Um, think about this illustration. I, I heard an illustration be put this way. Um, the only real fruit is the apple that's hanging from the tree. Any other fruit, other than that which is hanging on the tree, other than that which comes from abiding in Christ, would be like picking up an apple off the ground and stapling it to a tree. And eventually, it will rot. Attempting to find fruitfulness in any way other than abiding in Christ is only going to get you as good as picking up that apple and stapling it. It, it has the counterfeit, the appearance of fruitfulness. But its end, its end is it will rot. In the same way that apple will rot out there on the tree. Looking for fruitfulness outside of Christ. For there is no one like Him. There is no one like God. There is no one who can bring fruitfulness in our lives like the Lord can. So where are we looking for fruitfulness? Where are we looking for fruitfulness in places other than Christ? And it might just be that we tonight could allow the Lord to judge gods. Gods that we've put before Him that are in our lives. See, we can remember Egypt being a picture of the world. The world's being judged now. Other gods are being judged. And it's, it's possible that other gods have crept in and made their way into our life. And there's nine, ten plagues. Uh, but tonight we just get three and we get to see these three things. Maybe secretly we're believing that our lives would be more fruitful if we just had a little of this or a little of that. Maybe if we had a little more, maybe then we think if we looked a little better, if we had a few more friends. I don't know the things or what it might be that you think would bring greater fruitfulness in your life. Maybe if I just had a better job or maybe if I just had something that was a little bit nicer then my life would be more fruitful. Then I would find growth. Then I would find the thing that I'm looking for. But the Lord's judging all of that. He's judging the vanity and their false worship and saying there is, there is no fruitfulness coming from believing in this frog. And we laugh at that, don't we? Because it's silly. It's silly that they would really think that that frog can bring them something. But don't laugh too long. 
Just because our gods look different. Just because this morning we didn't bow down to a woman with the head of a frog. Does not mean that we too might not have gods before us. It doesn't mean that we might have false gods, things that we think counterfeits that we are believing in for the the growth and the fruitfulness of our life. And look here at what goes on as Pharaoh is seeing this. Pharaoh pleads with Moses. Moses cries out to the Lord and the Lord kills off all the frogs. And then we find in verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them. Now, this is a pattern. This is a pattern in Pharaoh's life. It's a pattern in our life. It's a pattern to be aware of, to put a guard up against. Because how often are we in a place, in a position in life as we're crying out for deliverance? We're we're in a desperate place And then God delivers us and gives us a respite. He gives us a place of relief. And our hearts go right back to the hard condition that they were before. We see this in the scriptures with the ten lepers. As Jesus heals them. They they needed him. They knew they needed him. And then they were healed. And off they went. We don't know what happened In the lives of nine of them. Why they didn't come back. I also see this going on. In the lives of others. In the lives of those who are close and dear to me. I'm watching this in the life of my own brother. Who I saw be in a great place of need. Of desperation. He cried out for help. God provided a way for him. Gave him resource. Gave him a place to go. And yet now he's thinking. Maybe I don't need help anymore. Maybe after all, I don't need help. I've seen this in Christian brothers who come in. They come in beat up, beat down. They have a place to come to heal, to get better, only to go on thinking now they can take life by the horns. Why? They found a respite. They found relief. God's mercy, His his sparing us of what we deserve, His giving us that relief is not that we might then go back. I've seen this happen even in my own life. In those times, in those situations, Lord, everything I have is yours. And then there's a respite. There's relief. And now everything I have is mine again. No longer yours. I could say that even in getting the privilege of Being up here from time to time, I could look back and see where doing something where when I started off the desperate need, I knew the need I knew I needed God to get me through a time like sharing his word. I can say there's times where in it I found a respite. Maybe I found something that works. I hope it's okay that we're being real. And, and open about this pattern, the reality of the fact that there's moments in life we know we need the Lord. And then He delivers us. And we go on thinking we never needed the help in the first place. See ya, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. Off we go. Back 
to our own ways. Do not harden your heart. Literally, it can mean to, to make stupid. How did we get stupid? I don't know. It, we can be. I can be. So let's read uh, 16 and on now. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. And all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. I'm going to read our fourth plague just for time and and similarity here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. There we have that phrase again, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, verse 23, I will put a division between my people and your people tomorrow. This sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. So two more plagues. The last two that we're going to look at tonight. First was gnats. The second was flies. In these, you can. Uh, there's much debate about exactly what each of these things were. Some might say the gnats were, were um, lice. Others would look at the flies and say that these flies could be like a bot fly. Um, they were insects. And insects, I don't care who you are, um, insects are extremely annoying. And uh, Egypt, Egypt was um, a place of extreme cleanliness. And and so this this third plague, the plague of gnats, this plague coming upon both the people and the beasts would have literally shut down Egypt's worship system. And the reason is, is because the priest covered in these gnats, this, this lice, and the animals, the beasts, covered in this lice, they would now become unclean. And this would shut down their sacrificial system. This would shut down their place of worship. And the Lord, through this plague, was shutting down their place of worship. No longer would they be able to. So what's your place of worship? Worship simply being, what's the place that gets your time? What's worthy of your full 
attention. A few Sundays ago, I was confronted with this. As uh, I went home to spend time with, with my family as we were enjoying a day of rest. And I'm being confronted with a hundred different things that I could be doing. Different things that could be getting my attention. My mind's racing. And all the while, it's almost was walking through this battle, this conflict of, of all of these places of worship just being shut down. Just even trying to shut that down. And the challenge and the difficulty of it. The places that get our time. But when he shuts everything down, we get to realize again, this is the finger of God. We, we realize and we acknowledge, we acknowledge God again, remembering he is above all. He is in control of all. I read this verse the other day, Romans 1, 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And as I read that, what I was getting out of it was realizing if, if, if I don't see fit to acknowledge God, I will literally end up doing the things I ought not to do. What happens when we forget to acknowledge God? We end up doing things we ought not to to do that we thought we would thought never possible the importance of acknowledging God and and so this is where now their system of worship is being shut down because God's wanting to remind them and and reveal to them and again the gnats and the fleas being connected he wants them to know answer to Pharaoh's question I am the Lord in the midst of the earth I'm, I'm here. All of this worship is going on. You're giving attention to all of these other gods, but I am here. And I'm shutting down now your system of worship. I'm God and, and I'm in the midst. And I'm present. And again, now we see with the flies in verses 20 through 24. I don't know about you, but I, I hate flies. Um, I love where I get to live right now on a 40-acre ranch. However, manure apparently keeps flies going year-round. They, they do not die off. I, I tell you, come, uh, both my wife and I have been gone for about a week and coming back into the room, there's, there's dead flies. As I'm putting this together, there's a few flies that are half alive, half dead, and I'm just hearing them buzzing the whole time. Last night, with just the nightlight on, there's a fly just diving, attacking, over and over. Um, there's, there's fly strips that we've hung, and I've walked into them, and I... Yeah. But notice this. The, the land, we're told, the land was ruined by the swarm of flies we see in verse 24. Uh, and, and just quickly, the land, the land of this day, you think of Egypt and, and what do you think? Sand. Pyramids come to my mind. Maybe they come to yours. Egypt was, yeah, sand was in the land. P 
pyramids were in the land. But they loved the land. We, we might also think that these pyramids were built on the backs of slaves, when in reality, there were compensated laborers who were considered skilled craftsmen who loved their art. And the building of these pyramids did not have some gloomy idea of death about them. The idea was an idea of life, and that one life was important enough to be remembered for all of this, for all of this work to go into it. It was life. They, Egyptians, many will write about ancient Egypt, and they loved the life that they were living. And the kings lived in luxuries that were unimaginable to you and I. And now that land, the land, the land is ruined God's coming after now their possessions. He's coming after the pride of, of life, the very thing that they put their pride in, the place that they draw their comfort from. And again, so I ask this question, what ruin, what ruin needs to come in the land of our life? What possession does the Lord need to come after in our life? Nick said I should fit in an illustration about a fridge we just went to pick up. Um, we were driving back, and we only strapped it at the bottom. Now, this is a fridge I got that was used, and uh, the fridge fell. And I was going, really, Lord, I didn't realize this was a possession you were coming after in my life, this fridge. I, I don't know what's between me and this fridge, but apparently you're taking it from me. But what land, what possessions is the Lord maybe needing to bring ruin to in our life? So I want to bring summary to this. There, there's... Again, there were two answers the Lord gave tonight to this question, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? One thing He wanted for Pharaoh and the people to know is that there's no one like me. You will not find fruitfulness. You will not find what you're looking for in any other gods. And secondly, I am in your midst. I'm greater than... Your possessions, what we just saw, the, the land, and I'm also um, above your place of worship. As the Lord shut down their system of worship, they were unable to go on. And we're closing now uh, with, with this final thought. So verses 25 to the end. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord, our God, are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord, our God, as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Tomorrow only let not Pharaoh 
cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of the flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. That's a miracle. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Now, I want to um, simply close on, on these final thoughts. There's two compromises that we see popping up now. And there will be compromises that Pharaoh will attempt to tempt Moses and Aaron with these compromises, with, with a partial agreement to their request to go out and worship the Lord. The first compromise is this. In verse 25, sacrifice to your God within the land. Like You can worship, you just can't go out of the land. It's, it would be like being a worldly Christian. Moses' answer to that is not possible. We can't. We, we cannot do that. Why? Our worship, the way we worship God, it's not the way you do it here in the world. You'd kill us. Our ways of worship are different than the ways of the world, than the ways that you guys do it. A worldly Christian. How can those two words even be said in the same breath? A worldly Christian. Literally, look in verse 22. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. Now for the first time, we see the Lord in the plagues saying He's going to draw a separation. Up to this point, Israel has been affected along with the Egyptians in these plagues, it would appear. But now the Lord's drawing a clear line, a separation. That word, literally, to be distinct, marked out, be separated, be distinguished. distinguished. And verse 23 says this, Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. There was a division. Literally, this is also translated as set redemption. God didn't come to improve the situation of the Israelites. He didn't come to give them a better life in Egypt. He came with a redemption. He came to deliver them. He came to set them free, to separate them. That they would be delivered, redeemed. That they would look different, live different. And yet, that temptation from Satan, that compromise, plagues us as Christians. You can worship, just do it here, do it in the world. Just, you can have an improved life, you can better your life. Just don't give up your life. Don't, don't leave, just stay here. The second compromise that we see then. Just giving a little more ground, but still holding back. Only, and this is found in verse uh, 29, only, uh, verse 28. So Pharaoh said, I will not let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. So, so now he's saying, I, I'm going to let you go out, but just... Don't go very far. Stay, stay close. 
Um, don't be a fanatic about it. Don't be a, a radical about it. Don't really, really go all out. Don't really be far from. And we see what they're saying about this missionary, John Chow. One professor said this, There is faith and there is mental illness. He didn't understand the line between faith and doing something that's absolutely nutty. Even the missions organization that he had earlier joined for training said this call on his life was a radical call. His friends talked that he was avoiding romantic attachments because of his planned mission. Some would call him a radical. I think simply this was a redeemed man. He realized there was something different. His life should be different. I'm closing with this illustration now on being set apart. We can think about it this way. Think about dishes. In the sink, the sink is full of dirty dishes. And in the cabinet, there's ordinary, common, clean, everyday dishes. Dishes we use all the time. But then maybe in your home, there's a a place for the fine china. Because we've separated chinaware, I guess. The fine china that comes out maybe once or twice a year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, or maybe it just never comes out. It just always stays separate, set apart, different than, not in the same category, not ordinary, unlike the rest. That's the type of Christian, and we have to love where we're at in these plagues because we're not to the the final plague, which is the real picture of redemption, the gospel, God's deliverance of the people, the Passover. However, all throughout Scripture, God is giving us glimpses of His redemption, His plan. He's revealing what He has for His people. And on that day, He established for them a distinction, a separation. And He set them apart. So, as we're closing, I don't know where in all of this you might find yourself. Maybe for you tonight, I hope you could be encouraged. Obey the voice of the Lord. I know if Jordan and Kenny were here, they would say yes and amen. We don't regret obeying His voice to go. And maybe there are gods that are before the one true God who are in need of judgment. And and not just understand this. He doesn't want to just have us take those gods out. He's he's literally saying, I've I'm I'm choosing you to be your God. I'm gonna replace those gods. We have to love having all of history in this book at our disposal. Literally there were people in this, also Egyptians who this redemption was for and who we have glimpses of that they too were moved by the things that God was doing in their midst. And maybe you realize there's compromise. There isn't a complete all-in-ness worldly Christian. I, I hope and I pray that that would just come out now as a contradiction, that it wouldn't even be able to be mentioned in the same phrase. For God 
did not come to improve our life, to give us a better life in the world. He delivered us. He set us free. He made a way. He brought us out and took us in to new life. Amen.